Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Here's everything you might have missed in the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. Folks, it's a Life Day miracle, or a Honda Day, or Toyota, I don't know. It's a holiday miracle. The Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special is here, and it's spreading Yuletide cheer, goodwill, and some pretty important changes for everyone's favorite band of a-holes. What a bunch of a-holes. James Gunn's riff on the Star Wars holiday special is his penultimate entry in the Marvel Cinematic Universe after becoming the co-CEO of DC Studios. And this seemingly light and breezy holiday special actually contains both Easter eggs and some pretty important exposition for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. We're gonna break it all down for you in just a moment, but to do so we have to spoil what happens. So if you haven't seen it yet, well, leave now before it's too late. Kindly put down my elf and my candy cane and go. I'm calling the police right now. Ah! Okay, let's get into it, shall we? In true Star Wars holiday special fashion, the Guardians holiday special has it all. Animated segments, musical numbers, a heartwarming story, and Mark Hamill. Well, maybe not Mark Hamill, but Atlanta actor Troy Beecham who bears a striking resemblance to Mark Hamill. Besides, we all know that Luke Skywalker prefers green milk to whatever this dude is drinking. The special begins with Kraglin's rotoscoped Rashomon-style recollections of how Yondu ruined Christmas. When Yondu shouts what in the name of Ogord, that is actually a reference to Sylvester Stallone's character from Guardians 2, the Ravager better known in the comics as Starhawk. The story then transitions to the Guardians in the present day on Nowhere. This mining colony built on the severed head of a dead celestial first appeared in the mid credit scene of Thor The Dark World. In that scene, the Asgardians entrusted the Collector with keeping the Aether safe because we all know that was actually the Reality Stone. Now, apparently not only did the Collector survive being tortured by Thanos, but he decided to sell the entire space station to the Guardians in the aftermath of Endgame. The Guardians now use Nowhere as their new base of operations, and they're doing their darndest to gussy this place up just in time for the holidays. In addition to Groot being absolutely yoked now, another major addition to the team is Cosmo, everyone's favorite Soviet space dog from the comics. Modeled after the real-life Soviet space dog Laika, Cosmo was originally part of the Collector's collection, and now seems to be a full-fledged member of the Guardians. Voiced by Borat 2 standout Maria Bakalova, Cosmo has telekinetic power Powers, but she isn't quite as powerful as her Marvel Snap counterpart, at least not yet. In the comics, exposure to cosmic rays wound up giving Cosmo psionic abilities, and that space dog went on to become the head of security on Nowhere. These powers are unexplained here, but Guardians Volume 3 will explore Rocket's tragic origins and connection to the High Evolutionary. He was a scientist hell-bent on turning his subjects into the perfect version of themselves. Now, Rocket may actually be one of the High Evolutionary's new men from the comics, animals that were experimented on and evolved into humanoid life forms. Even if Cosmo wasn't part of his mad scientist menagerie, these two can likely bond over their shared scientific trauma, and if nothing else, Rocket has those sweet, sweet treats. Also, I want one of those delicious treats in that bag. 
Moving on, the band who plays Star-Lord a song about Christmas are the members of the old 97s, and they actually released a Christmas album of their own a couple years ago. One of the lyrics references Hermie, the elf who became a dentist in the classic 1964 stop-motion animated TV special, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. While Star-Lord may take umbrage with their characterization of Santa, it is truer to the comics than he knows. Santa Claus has actually been part of the Marvel Universe since 1954's Strange Tales number 34, but he was officially established as a mutant in 1991's aptly named Marvel Holiday Special number one. And while we briefly see someone dressed as Santa on Hollywood Boulevard, we'll have to wait until the eventual Holiday Special sequel to see mutant Santa in all of his glory. Ho, ho, hell no. The opening credits also bear a striking resemblance to the font used in A Christmas Story. As for those Zarg nuts that Drax is hyper-focused on, that was the snack he was eating back in Avengers Infinity War when he was pretending to be invisible. But these Zargs pale in comparison to the special's biggest revelation of all, that Mantis is actually Peter Quill's sister. So it looks like Ego left his e-goo behind Dairy Queens all over the galaxy. After hearing Peter tell stories about Kevin Bacon for years, Drax and Mantis decide the only sensible way to save Christmas is to kidnap the actor and give him to Peter as a present. Taking the Benatar to Earth via the Universal Neural Teleportation Network, they arrive on Hollywood Boulevard, which looks just like that in real life. Here we see a number of questionable costumed characters, including folks dressed as Zorro, Jack Sparrow, Captain America, Ant-Man, Black Widow, Captain Marvel, and one of the GoBots. And while the GoBots franchise didn't quite stand the test of time like Transformers did, apparently they are a sentient race in the MCU, and one of them killed Drax's cousin. As for that golden statue man, my headcanon is that he's cosplaying as Crawley from Moon Knight. Also, one of the people that takes a photo with Drax and Mantis is celebrity tattoo artist Dr. Wu. In the background, you can spot a poster for Kingo's movie, Hacksand 3, Hacksander at the Chinese Theater. And later, there's another sign for Kingo's Christmas. So the question is, is Kingo back from being kidnapped by the Celestial Arashem, or were these in the can before Kingo got got in the finale of Eternals? The answer is obviously the latter, but maybe Arashem has like a soundstage up there in the World Forge that we didn't see in that movie. The bar that Drax and Mantis go to is named Yarvo's, which is named for James Gunn's frequent collaborator, filmmaker David Yaravesky. He's helmed projects like Brightburn and The Hive. The bartender inside is Suicide Squad star Flula Borg, who played Javelin in Gunn's DC debut. On the map of the stars, we can see Suicide Squad stars Margot Robbie and John Cena, as well as Queen Latifah, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and a throwback photo of Mark Paul Gosseler. And of course, Kevin Bacon himself. At home, Kevin Bacon is kicking back and watching the film made infamous by Mystery Science Theater 3000, 1964 Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. One of the cops that Mantis and Drax take out is named R. Bobbitt, named for prop master Russell Bobbitt. He works on a number of Marvel Studios productions, including both the Guardians movies. As for Officer Fitzgibbon, James Gunn frequently pays homage to his oldest friend Larry Fitzgibbon by including characters named Fitzgibbon in his projects. Case in point, in the first Guardians movie, the Doctor is named Fitzgibbon, and there were also Fitzgibbons in Suicide Squad, Peacemaker, and basically every other movie or TV show he's done since. Aboard the ship, we get another DC reference from Kevin Bacon. When he's told to be a hero by Mantis, he pretends to be Batman. And this adds to previous references to Marvel's distinguished competition in films like Eternals and Iron Man 3. Back on Nowhere, everybody eventually gets into the holiday spirit after Kraglin warms Kevin Bacon's cold, dead heart, and they get over that whole human trafficking thing. Crazy, right? 
We also learn that the Guardians have another brand new ship in their fleet. This one is dubbed the Bowie in the grand tradition of Peter Quill naming things after his pop culture heroes. Like that song that David Bowie sang, Heroes. It's a real space oddity, huh? Have a ship like, like that out there? But they could find if there's life on Mars. Ziggy Stardust. <laughs> Unfortunately for Kraglin, he still can't control Yondu's Yaka arrow after acquiring it in the end credits of Guardians Volume 2. But hey, buddy, at least it looks cool. <laughs> Moving on, Peter gets Groot a slightly updated game console, a Game Boy. If you recall in Guardians 2, Groot was obsessively playing a portable version of Defender that was released in 1982. The Game Boy didn't release until 1989, so just imagine the leaps and bounds and bleeps and bloops he's about to experience. Nebula gives Rocket something that he's always wanted, at least ever since the Battle of Wakanda in Infinity War, Bucky's vibranium arm. Now this raises a number of questions, but hopefully the quest to get Bucky's arm back will be the plot of Thunderbolts. It also ties back to Rocket's passion for cybernetic limbs acquired through illegal means, dating back to the very first Guardians film. Here you go. Oh, I was just kidding about the leg. I just need these two things. What? Cosmo gets Kraglin a dead Orloni, the rat-like creatures that we saw skittering around on Morag in the opening of the first Guardians movie. Mantis gives Drax his funny little man, and Groot gives the team surprisingly well-made dioramas of the events of the film. It shows that not only is Groot very bad at planning ahead, but he's very good at making dioramas. In a flashback, we also learn that after ruining Christmas, Yondu opened his gift from Peter to reveal a Yoda-esque toy. And he was so touched, he decided to give his young ward the pair of pistols that became Star-Lord's signature weapon. As for Star-Lord, the greatest gift of all is learning that he isn't as alone in this universe as he thought. Not only does he have his chosen family with the Guardians, but he has a living blood relative in his newfound sister, Mantis. And while Gamora may still be missing and Peter's heart may still be broken, at least this ragtag group has proved that deep down, they really do care about each other. And that's a bond they will definitely need to carry with them, as what's been teased about Guardian 3 so far looks like it might tear poor Rocket apart. And last but not least, there's a cute post credit scene where Cosmo and Rocket are decorating Groot like a literal Christmas tree. When Groot drops the ornaments, Cosmo claims that Groot ruined Christmas, which Rocket jokes is fodder for a sequel. But given James Gunn's imminent departure from the MCU, we'll see if that sequel ever actually happens. For now, it's just a nice, cute moment to end on. Anyway, folks, there you have it. That's everything we spotted and wanted to delve deeper into in the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. We love you, Kevin Bacon. Bye, Kevin Bacon. Bye, Kevin Bacon. Bye, Bacon. We love you, Kevin Bacon. We'll have even more deep dives into the future of the MCU for you in the days ahead, but for now, tell us, what did you think of the holiday special? Did you spot anything that we missed? Of course not. My friend is being an idiot. Let us know in the comments below, and for the latest and greatest in the world of pop culture, make sure you stay tuned to Nerdist.com.